0: Uh, We're going to be turning our attention uh, back to the book of Ecclesiastes today. Uh, This is Solomon's journey, his journey of life under the sun, life without God in the picture. Basically, he's saying, let's see what this world has to offer. I mean, this world makes such great claims, all the commercials about all the happiness and joy and fulfillment that's out there, and Solomon says, you know, literally, let's test some of those claims. So we're going to be in uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 if you would like to turn there in your Bibles and I would like to invite you to open with me in a word of prayer. Father God, I ask you to not just open our ears but open our hearts to you, Lord. I pray that you will speak to us, Father, that it won't be my words, it won't be my truth, but Father, it will be your truth. And Lord, is, is that truth is, is given to us, that your spirit will work it within our hearts, that you will give us encouragement where encouragement is needed, you know, challenge us where we need to be challenged, or correct us where we need to be corrected. Father, our heart's desire is, is to be like you, and to be a child of yours, and to receive that well done, thou good and faithful servant, and Lord, I know, uh, you know this this service is going to play a part in this, this time in Ecclesiastes too, so we just give ourselves to you. I give myself to you, Lord, uh, that you will just you know, take these thoughts that you have given me and uh, the truth, Father, that is here and uh, help, help just your thoughts to overcome my thoughts, Lord. And we'll thank you in thy son's name we pray. Amen. Well, I think it would be safe uh, to say that most of us have better sight than insight. You know, some of us have to have corrective lenses to give us that sight, that 20-20 vision, but for the most part, we have pretty good sight. But a lot of times, insight's a whole different ball game. I mean, there may be nothing wrong with our vision. We can actually judge the f- surface. We can see the outside of a person. We can see what is obvious there and what they want us to see. But it is not so easy to pick up on the significant, on the, the inward characters, the heart of a person. Matter of fact, an Israel judge once recorded this fact in a book that bears his name. In First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, it says, But the Lord said, Do not look at his appearance, or at his height, or at his stature. For God sees not as a man sees, for man Looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, realizing this truth of our human trait that, you know, pretty much we can only judge one another often by just the outside factors, we find that men and women are, are fairly good at acting. Matter of fact, the, the Greek word for acting was hypocritus. We get the word hypocrite for that being something that we're we're not and we become often very good at that we know that those around us can't really see what's going deep down inside of us so so we give a false image on the outside we give a perception of how we want people to see us mark twain once said everyone is a moon he has a dark side that he never shows Now, that's kind of a morbid view of of mankind, but there is a lot of truth of it there. I mean, think of it. You have respected, healthy athletes that, you know, fans are screaming, throwing themselves in the aisles for them. Comedians, entertainers, singers, they're all the envy of their fans. Oh, you know, what a great life. They just want to be just like them. But down inside, many of those same men and women often struggle with great personal insecurities, Low self-esteem. The late cartoonist Ralph Barton, he was famous for painting and drawing caricatures of the the rich and, and famous people back in the early 1900s. He said this. He said, I have had few difficulties, many friends, great success. I have gone from house to house and have visited great countries of the world but I am fed up with the devices to fill up 24 hours of the day. And he said those words just before he committed suicide, before his 40th birthday. I mean, to everyone, the man seemed so happy. No one would have ever guessed that he would write those words before he would take his own life. And so many that appeared to be suave, stable, in control, May, may be desperately frustrated. You know, the Latin word for frustrated is frustra, and it's translated in vain. Everything in life is without purpose. It frustrates. You know, our lives you know, are often like the stock market, up and down and, and up and down, and maybe a little bit like, more like it is today, a lot more down than, than it is up. Well, there are few that peel their mask off and admit their struggles. When they do, I think our admiration for them is actually enhanced. I think you'd agree that vulnerability is a rare but much respected trait today. It is this quality that causes us to appreciate the book of Ecclesiastes and the human author that God moved to to pen these truths. It makes us appreciate Solomon. Because he became vulnerable and he spoke the truth. We aren't left to guess what was rumbling around in his head. We aren't just given a description of what it was like to be the king of Israel, you know, the, the, the wealthiest, most powerful man for 40 years to live in peacetime and to just look at his life and 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 envy. Man, that, that would have been great to be Solomon. But he made himself vulnerable and as he went on this journey of life of all the freedoms that he have everything at his fingertips he penned a journal the book of ecclesiastes an open and honest look at what life under the sun life without god life that the world makes so many great claims what it really is like at the end. Solomon was transparent and without hesitation, he shares the experiences and the effect it had on his life. And we've been uh, going for about two weeks in the book of Ecclesiastes so far. Uh, we've covered a number of things that, that he pursued in life that, that you know, life and the world kind of offers as, as joy and happiness. We found that he was unable to find satisfaction in intellectual pursuit. He found laughter and pleasure, nothing but, but maddening, he says. He turned to wine, women, and song, only to enter into great boredom. He tried personal projects, poured himself into you know great parks and you know whatever today pools, you know, great homes, no satisfaction. He tried to find fulfillment in harems, concubines, wives, but once again, zero. He collected art, jewelry, gems, but nothing satisfied. Nothing satisfied. I remember seeing, a, I think it was a bumper sticker, that said, my wild oats have turned into shredded wheat. And, and I think that's probably what you know, Solomon would have said up to this point. And like the cartoonist Barton, King Solomon was fed up with the devices that just fill up our day that the world gives us to occupy our time. But unlike Barton, he did not take his life. But he turned to other avenues of life. Again, seeking out other purposes. There's got to be meaning in something else. Well, what did he find? Well, he found more miles of bad roads, he came to the same conclusions, but again, best of all, he doesn't hide the truth from us. He may be frustrated, but he's no hypocrite. He isn't hiding what his life was, you know, really in pursuit of. And this morning, we're going to look at three new areas of pursuit that that perhaps we are on the same journey as well. He compares wisdom with foolishness. He's going to move on to, to compare the immediate with the ultimate. And then finally, daily work with evening relief. Now, if you're in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 by now, I'm asking you to go to verses 12, and we'll read verse 12 through 17, Ecclesiastes 2. So he said, I turn to consider wisdom, madness, and folly, For what will the man do who will come after the king except what already has been done? And I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I know that one fate befalls them both. Then I said to myself, as is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. Why then have I been extremely wise? So I said to myself, this too is vanity or emptiness. For there is no lasting remembrance of the wise man as with the, as with the fool. Inasmuch as in the coming days all will be forgotten. And how the wise man and the fool alike die. So I hated life for the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me. Because everything is futility and a striving After the wind. So Solomon considers in the very beginning here, does it matter that a person is wise or he lives his life as a fool? You know, should a person be a serious thinker, use his head, control his life? Or should he just, you know, wing it, let it all hang out? Don't worry about what you do. Don't worry about the consequences. Don't worry about who you hurt. Again, remember, he's the king. So nobody could question him. Nobody could dictate to him what he chose. There were no pressures. There were no consequences of his choices. It didn't matter in his home, jobs, and his friends. Nobody. He He was the human authority. Now, he does say initially he realizes that wisdom you know, has it over folly or or foolishness. He says in verse 13, going into verse 14, he said, and I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. You know, the wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks about in darkness. I mean, so between the two, obviously wisdom wins hands down. But then he realized in the final analysis, both the wise and the foolish they come to the same fate. They come to the same end. He goes on in verse 14, and yet I know that one fate befalls them both. He's talking about death here, verse 15. Then I said to myself, as is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. Why then have I been extremely wise? So I said to myself, this too is vanity. So you get this, this fine education. You know, the, the, this... Bachelor's, this master's, this PhD. You get this responsible job, use good so- common sense, you know, in, at work and raising your family. Basically, he says the axe falls on your neck just as it does the neck of the fool. Remember, this is, this is an under the sun perspective. He's saying, you know, in, in this world, if this is all that there is, this is a true reality that both the foolish and And the wise, they come to the same end. And you might say, well, wait a minute, at least the wise person is going to be remembered. Well, that's not necessarily true. Verse 16, he says, For there is no lasting remembrance of the wise man as with the fool. In other words, both of them are forgotten, inasmuch as in the coming days all will be forgotten. And how the wise man and the fool alike, they both die. think about it for a second second here. Over in Egypt, you have these these great Egyptian pyramids. And the Egyptian kings, from the moment that they became king, they began to build and have these, they didn't build it, their slaves built these massive pyramids in an attempt to leave this this remembrance of of who they were. Now, some of these pyramids, I'm told, are 500 feet tall. They contain over 2 million blocks of stone. Each of those stone weighing a couple of tons. Massive, you know, beautiful. You've you've all seen pictures of them. You know, maybe some of you have seen them, you know, in real life. Now, who can tell me the name of one of those pharaohs? And everybody is saying King Tut, right? And that's only because of the song, King Tut. How do you get so funky, you know. I mean, we all know. It. I guess I'm—you don't know the song, okay? I'm, I'm dating myself here, but King Tut. Most of us can't remember, and we certainly by their great monuments that we they built. We don't remember the pharaohs, and so once again Solomon finds himself at the same dead end in life. You know, what is it going to matter under the sun again here? In verse 17, he says, "So I hated life." For the work, work which has been done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is futility and a striving after the wind. Emptiness. That's what he found once again. So his journey, again, it, it just keeps going. It just continues. But the scenery never changes. He seems to always come to the same conclusion. And there's a reason for that. We're going to get to that at the end. There's a reason that he always comes to the same conclusion. It's because it's life under the sun. It's life without God. It's life without the creator. It's life without the one who has given us breath and meaning and purpose and has had us born into this world for a reason. And when we step out of that life and we pursue the the physical instead of that spiritual relationship with God, it's life under the sun. And it is a life that leads to vanity. So Solomon turns his evaluation to find fulfillment in things that he can leave the world. You know, he, he's going to leave. You know, you know again, kind of piggytailing off of the remembrance thing. What if I just leave? You know, my my son and grandsons and their generations and the people of Israel. I leave them so many great things. Um, he kind of puts his attention there, and and again, he finds the same result in verse eighteen through twenty-one. He says, "Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun, for I must leave it to a man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise man or a fool? Yet he will have control over all the fruit of my labor for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun." This too, is vanity. Therefore I completely despaired of all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. When there is a man who has labored with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, then he gives his legacy to one who has not labored with them. This, too, is vanity and great evil. So you get the picture here. Let's put in common day vernacular here. You work, and you work hard. You save. You put in overtime. You sacrifice. You compete. You add hours to your work week. You skip vacations, you invest, you work, 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 you work hard, and then what happens? About the time you get everything in a row, you're at the end of your life, and wham, you are gone. And as the saying goes, where there's a will, there's relatives, and, and all that you have worked for is handed over to people who get it scot-free. And he notices here, he, he says, worse yet, he says, you can't guarantee how they will use what you have given them. Verse 19, and, and who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool, <clears throat> yet he will have control over all the fruit of my labor, for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun. You know, this too is vanity. I mean, it, 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 it's emptiness. It's emptiness. You know, that, that house that you worked so hard to put together, when you're gone, it doesn't mean as much to the people that you've left it to, so they sell it. Your savings account, you know, that you, you just hovered over, you know, labored over trying to build it, it's spent. Uncle Sam takes a large portion of all that you've worked for. You know, if you know your, uh, your is... Israel's history, you have to think that Solomon, as he's writing these words, he, he must, maybe was looking at his son, Rehoboam. You know, what, what a tragic story, his first son. I mean, for 40 years, four decades, Solomon had given Israel peace, tremendous prosperity. And then he handed the kingdom over to his son when he died. And within a year, Rehoboam had the country split in half, and they were involved in a civil war. Later on, then, the Egyptians came marching in, and Rehoboam went to the temple, what was called Solomon's Temple, because Solomon had put so much gold in, you know, and, and, and of the wealth of his family into this temple. And Rehoboam, to appease the Egyptians, He gives them all of the solid gold shields to keep them from invading Israel. But as expected, Egypt wanted more. And they slowly bled the nation of all of Solomon's wealth. Within years, it was all gone. All of Solomon's sweat, all his labor, none of it lasted. And he can almost hear Solomon throwing his hands in the air and shouting, it isn't worth it. I mean, he finds himself right back at square one. I mean, folks, does this sometimes sound like your life? You know, again, remember, we're not saying that work is bad here. This is all an under-the-sun perspective, okay? You've got you to gotta remember that as we're talking about that. You know, this, this is that work for work's sake, work for fulfillment's sake work to to give us meaning and purpose. As a matter of fact, almost every single area of life that Solomon is going to deal with in the book of Ecclesiastes, none of them, very rarely, are bad. But the point is that they will not bring you the fulfillment that you're looking for. Only the presence of God in those things will give them meaning. Life without God, life with God removed for it, cannot bring satisfaction. But again, Solomon thinks, well, maybe the answer is, you know, I'll work hard all day. And then, you know, at night I'll be able to go back and I'll relax just a little bit. Verse 22 and 23. He says, for what does a man get in all his labor, in his striving with which he labors under the sun? Because all his days his task is painful and grievous. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is vanity. I mean, you work hard all day for what? To come home and work hard. You know, maybe you bring work home from the office that you have to take care of, you know, a few hours before you go back to work. You know, if not, you have cars to be fixed. Home repairs, lawn mowed. In the winter, you know, shovel your driveway. Upkeep of all those things that you have worked for. You know, it's true that what you owe, or excuse me, what you own, owns you. The more, the more you have, the more responsibilities you have. And, and, and for what? I mean, that's what Solomon is wrestling here, with here. For what? For a few fleeting moments that you steal to rest and enjoy it all. I mean, the dividends of all your work doesn't seem to be very high for just a few moments of peace. So what do you do? How can you make it, if, if Solomon, I mean, you know, the doomsday here, saying everything out here in life is going to lead to, 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 to vanity, to emptiness, what can you do? Well, in, in a moment of clarity, Solomon receives a flash from God. Verse 24 and 25. He says, there is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen that it is from the hand of God. And Catch this. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? Who can eat or who can have enjoyment without? Without God, it's a, it's a repetitious question. It answers itself. Nobody can. And isn't that true? I mean, haven't you found that that unless God is in the middle of it, lasting enjoyment is impossible. You know, who can eat? Who can have enjoyment without God? Now, I, I can attest to having some experiences in this, um, haven't been a pastor my whole life. I remember the first year out of high school, I tried one of the avenues that Solomon tried. I went to hang out at the bars with my friends. The weird thing is I didn't drink. I, well, I, I drank soft drinks, but that was it. But, you know, that seemed to be where all the action was, all the fun, all the laughs. And, you know, they, they would talk about what they did. And, and so pretty soon I was there with them. But without exception, the next day, you know, after we'd we'd gone out that night and stayed out late, the next day was spent listening to friends laugh at the dumb things they've done. They spent too much money, you know, their head hurts, or there's some insulting joke that they told and some rift, you know, between a person because how they've acted. It was all emptiness. It was emptiness in my life. And it, it, it's that emptiness, and, and that's why Solomon is driving home this foot, it's that emptiness that is supposed to drive us to turn to God so that we can bring glory to his name. I mean, this life is not meant to, to, to give us happiness and joy as far as in the physical things. It's meant to cause a hunger for a better life, for an eternal life, for a heaven. I mean, this life is, is, is not our end. It's not our hope. And so in the midst of that, in the midst of that, that, that emptiness, I went and I visited some friends from high school that went to Grand Rapids School of the Bible and Music over up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It was a Bible school, and, and I went there for the weekend. You know, there were no classes going on, but I went out to hang out with my friends. We went to, to see a Christian film on campus, and then after the film, we went roller skating, ordered some pizza. The next day, we, we played basketball. And, and the great thing about it was that the next day, that joy didn't go away. I mean, I could see something in their life. There was meaning and purpose in what they were doing. It still felt good. There was still, you know, that, that rejoicing. And, and it's that that God used to call me, ultimately, to go to Grand Rapids School of Bible and Music, and, and that whole thing changed the trajectory of, of my life. And that's what the, the life under the sun is supposed to do down here. It is supposed to drive us to a God, the only God that can satisfy. Through his son, Jesus Christ, to fill a, a, a vacancy in our life that was left because of sin and the fall of man and our sin. And it is a place that only God can fill. And, the, you know, we don't naturally gravitate to that. So we run into emptiness upon emptiness. And you might see finally when we hit rock bottom, then we begin to look up. If God is missing, you might find enjoyment in this life out here for a time, but it doesn't last. You know, someone may ask the question, well, how do you balance the things? I mean, we have all these things, all these opportunities, especially for a Christian living in the United States, we have all these things, you know, good things, you know, at our fingertips. How do, you, how do you balance these things with our life with God? You know, certain things are bring tremendous joy, and they're good things. You know, going fishing, most times golf brings me joy. Sometimes it doesn't. You know, hanging out with our friends, going on a nature walk. You know, you have your hobbies, you have your life. You know, and, and how, do you, how do you balance that that You know, and bring God into the midst of all of these things. Well, think about this. All of these things that you enjoy in this life, all these things that we have out here, these things are gifts from God. These are gifts that God gives to us. But they have never been intended to replace God. They have never been intended to be your God. You know, as a father and as a grandfather, I love, I love to give gifts to my children. I love right now spoiling my grandchildren I enjoy seeing them happy but those things that I give them are not a replacement for me the real need for our children is for their mom and dad or for grandparents, or grandkids to have you know poppy and nanny in their life and it's the same with God these gifts that God brings into our life they're not to replace God they're not to, to come between God. What we really need is God himself. And again, we get that through his son, Jesus Christ, through that personal relationship, that salvation experience of giving our life to him and, and, and embracing the cross. Embracing what he did to pay my debt of my sin. Accepting him as my Lord and Savior. And once I enter into that relationship, he sends, he It says he sends us a comforter, a helper, the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, to come to to live within our life, to guide us, to to lead us, to help correct us, to help us as we read scripture to to understand it. It helps us when we pray, when we don't know what to pray, he, he prays for us. That is where our meaning is. That's where purpose comes. That's where we will find, ultimately, you know, joy in our life. But isn't it interesting? We have this idea, and it's kind of twisted here, and I've got to say, you know, Satan's probably done a real good job of, of you know, getting this, you know, false message out. We, ha- we have this idea that the world is the one that gives enjoyment. The world's out there having fun, and if you're a Christian, you know, God is just waiting to spoil your fun. God is just waiting to... Take away your fun. You know, as soon as he sees you having fun, you know, it, it, guilt, 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 guilt. That's what he's going to give you. Well, as God's people, we are the ones that really should be having what true joy is. We're the ones that should be having true happiness. We're the ones who know the meaning of life. We're the ones who, who understand our purpose and God's love and why has created us and why we are here and, 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 and what the ne- next life brings. But as one author puts it, he said, far too many Christians look like they've been baptized in lemon juice. (laughs) I mean, you know, their frowns or, you know, lips are pursed. They always seem to be serious. Remember, God is the creator of enjoyment. Enjoyment around Him. If we center our lives around God, I guarantee you that that enjoyment that has left us, that has left you empty, it can bring, be brought back to give you true meaning and true purpose, whether it's in your work, whether it's in your home, whether it's in your entertainment, those sorts of things you do. While others are slaving away, grinding out an existence here on this planet, we will be living a life that is worthy. We will be living a white life to its fullest because of Jesus Christ. Verse 26 says, For to a person who is good in his sight... He has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. While to the sinner, he has given the task of gathering and collecting so that he may give to the one who is good in God's sight. Friends, what is it? What is it today in your life that has been keeping you from God? Or should I say that you have been keeping from God? Is it your workplace? Have you invited God into your place of work? And that means that he has given, you know, to support you, to give you purpose when you, you know, every morning when you get up and you go into work. It may not be the most glamorous job. It may not be the job that you envisioned when, you know, you left high school and you went to college or whatever. But it is a job that God has given you. And God can give you joy in the midst of it. But without God, you're going to find emptiness. That family that you have, that Maybe it, it's struggling with you today. If you can put God at the center of it. If you can put God in the middle. Jesus Christ. If you can center your home upon him, he can help you through those struggles. He can give you joy in those relationships. You know, maybe some of the leisure things that you're doing, the fun things that you do, you just, they're kind of boring now. You know, you're Mundane. God can bring joy back in these great gifts that he has given you. The saying is true that Christ is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. And those areas that we give to him, he fills with joy. And those areas that we keep from him, we come to an emptiness. Let's pray. Father God, I just ask you to search my heart, search you know my life, you know, for those hidden things that I have locked away from you. You know, I, I I may feel that I've given you so much of my life, but God, you know, there are still areas I know that I keep from you. There's still areas that you know I, I don't invite you in to clean out, to give meaning and purpose. I live them for myself. I live them selfishly. So, Father, I I ask you to help me to have an open heart as you search, as your word has gone deep in my heart today. God, I want to have, I want to be used right now. You know, as a believer in Christ, I don't want to just put in my time down here on this earth. But, Father, I know you have a purpose and a meaning. God, when I when we discover what that is, when we live that, Father, there's such great joy. Thank you, God, for that. I pray for all my brothers and sisters in Christ that you as well, Lord, will will help them to search their hearts. Help us to be honest, God, with you. you. You don't see as other people see. You see our hearts. And Lord, that's where we want that work to begin today with you, deep within our hearts. So as I close in prayer, I just, you know, give that time for everyone to just continue quietly and praying personally to you. Thank you for listening, Father. In thy son's name we pray.